to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. I'm looking forward to getting into our new series this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Matthew chapter 22. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to give you uh, just another word of announcement if I can, uh, and that is having to do with Healthy Home. Hopefully you know that Healthy Home is more than a conference. Healthy Home is not just a conference that we commit to have every year, and you're hearing more and more about the one coming up on the 5th of February, but it's also a group of resources that we want to provide for you so that you can have a healthy heart and a healthy home. It's all about being healthy spiritually. Um, So if you would, take a moment and just look at what we have for you. There is a a QR code on the screen. You might even want to pick up your phone and, and raise it up and get that QR code because that goes directly into a series of four apps that we are providing for you. Now, as that code is on the screen, let me share with you what those four apps are within our website that we're providing. First of all, if you want to read the Bible through in the course of a year, there's a great app there for helping you read the Bible through. There are about 22 different plans you can choose from. And it doesn't matter really which plan it is, but these plans always go along the lines of what might make you more comfortable in in the sense of starting with the New Testament or starting with the Old Testament, uh, whatever it might be to help you get through the Bible reading in the course of a year. It's an incredible blessing to be able to do that, and there's an app for that. So that's on that screen as well. And then in addition to that, we have the New City Catechism app is on that screen as well. New City Catechism is a daily kind of interaction. Really, it's broken into 52 different weeks with 52 different truths, but daily you can go through these with your family, and they're doctrinal, they're, they're biblical, they're a great way to raise up the next generation and the faith of the next generation. We've handed these books out in the past, but now we have it in app form, and so that's on the QR code as well. Then thirdly, if you're a married couple, there is a way to understand the five love languages, and there's an app that is connected to the five love languages. And it just helps you know how to best relate to your spouse. And we want you to take advantage of that. The fourth uh, aspect of that is that when you hit this QR code, you'll also hit the code for our podcast. The podcast uh, of our services, as well as other material and content that we're putting on that podcast is for you to grow spiritually. And all this is about helping you be as healthy as you possibly can spiritually. And of course, the way to do that is get in the word. And just allow God's Word to impact your life in a huge way. So that's our invitation to you. And that's the address for where you get all those things. In addition to the Healthy Home Conference, there's all kinds of resources we're going to be giving you. All right? Well, we start a new series today called Real Church. Not the perfect church, but the real church. Because I hope that you've concluded at this point, there is no perfect church yet. The church is perfect in that it's Christ 
he will perfect it. But there is a church that is on earth right now that can be a real church. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to start today. This is a vision series, a series that reminds us of the priorities of who we are as a church. At the end of January and after Healthy Home Conference, we'll jump back into the book of Genesis, where we have been for some months. We'll pick up Genesis chapter 4 through chapter 11. Amazing truths in Genesis chapter 4 through chapter 11. Well, are you ready? Do you have your Bible? Let's stand together. Matthew chapter 22. Today, a real church loves well. A real church loves well. Now, the context of Matthew 22 is the Pharisees have seen that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees. They're trying to put Jesus out of business, basically. They're trying to embarrass Jesus and trap him. And so they're having a conversation with Jesus on this day. And in verse 35, one of the Pharisees comes up and asks him an important question. It says in verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now think for a moment how powerful that statement really is. Jesus, in a very brief but clear way, says, this is the most important thing you can know about the law and the commandment. It's a big deal. Verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, Jesus concludes this statement by saying, on these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. What a statement. Father, today in Jesus' name, give us the wisdom and the illumination of your Holy Spirit on our hearts, on our minds, in our lives to understand and to embrace this truth that you've given. Father, thank you so much that you love us first so that we can even know what it means to love you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. I was doing some research on the perfect church not long ago, and I came across an article that someone else wrote about the perfect church. And let me read it to you. The perfect church is the perfect size. It's not too large and it's not too small. It has perfect togetherness. Everyone is close friends and share many things together. No one is ever lonely. It's made up of perfect volunteers and perfect leaders. Every member is a perfect example to those on the inside and outside, never missing an opportunity to encourage someone else. Every member takes his or her turn serving in a Bible class or in preschool or in children, and there's never a deficiency for volunteers in this perfect church. And everybody that comes to a small group is adequately prepared. They're ready for the lesson ahead. The perfect church has perfect leaders and excellent teachers. They never miss a detail. While few adverse situations arise in the perfect church, when they do, the leaders handle each of them perfectly. Deacons are models of efficiency in ministry. And the preacher, while he's practically perfect. Now remember, I didn't write this. (laughs) Every sermon is a home run. He's just the right age, 33, with just the right experience, 40 years of experience. (laughs) He has a perfect wife and a perfect family. He's at the same time deep and simple, entertaining and practical, and he's never long-winded. Now, you know I didn't write it now. (laughs) The perfect church has perfect worship experiences, perfect attendance, spirited singing, eloquent prayer, moving communion. The sound volume is always perfect for everybody in the room. 
There's a deep reverence, yet at the same time, everybody's excited. There's never a distraction. No one ever wanders in and out. They're all glued to their chair for the whole service. Every visitor is greeted warmly and without exception wants to come back immediately the next week. The perfect church has the perfect building. It's nice, but not gaudy. It's always the right temperature for everyone. Conveniently located no matter where you live. There is perfect unity in the perfect church. No one disagrees. There are no offenses, no signs of spiritual maturity, even in young Christians. It's the perfect church. What else would you expect? Now, if you know where that perfect church is, please tell me so I can go. But I think most of us know there is no perfect church. Obviously, the writer was writing tongue-in-cheek, but the truth is the perfect church has not even been found even in the Bible. Do you know how many churches are detailed, highlighted in the Bible and the Scripture? And yet every single one of them had flaws. They had flaws because they had people. The Jerusalem church had many great qualities, but they also had a couple of famous liars, Ananias and Sapphira, and they neglected the widows in the daily serving of food, and they had general disunity. Antioch was a notable congregation because of its doctrine, but they also exhibited racial prejudice. Thessalonica, it had a group of people that didn't want to work. And so Paul had to write to them, if you don't work, you can't eat. And Corinth, it was probably the most imperfect church. They were selfish and greedy. Ephesus, Ephesus lost their first love. They moved away from loving Christ. So even under the leadership of the apostles, early on after Christ, the church was not perfect at all. And I've come to the conclusion that it's not going to be perfect until Jesus Christ comes back. Now, we serve a perfect Savior, amen? And we pursue Him, but we have not yet been made perfect in the sense of our practical everyday lives. We're perfectly forgiven, per perfectly sanctified in Christ, but we are not perfect people in the church of Jesus. So the church isn't going to be perfect until Jesus returns. But listen very carefully. It can be real, it can be authentic, and it can be life-giving. And today, that's one of the most important things that we can focus on. The church can be what God called us to be on this planet, moving towards more and more likeness of Him. But we must, we must be real. We must be authentic. We must be life-giving. You know, we have a phrase around here that we use quite a bit. And anytime I talk about a vision series, I'm going to bring this phrase up. But this phrase uh, is built around a graph or a graphic that we use. And that graphic is uh, involving the words relate, engage, adopt, and lead. And that graphic really kind of points out the things that we really believe. We believe that Jesus Christ has called us to have an abundant life. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. Imperfect people like us are called to have life through Jesus and have it more abundantly. So based on that, we built a phrase that was very important to us. And that phrase is, real people uh, have real hope and real life in Jesus Christ. And we use that phrase all the time. In fact, T-shirts abound that we've given away over the years. Real people, real hope, real life. And it resonates with us because we know we can't be perfect until Christ comes back, but we also know that we can be real and we do have a real hope that we find in Jesus. And we know we can have the real life that Jesus offers, that abundant life he refers to. So whenever you talk about the vision of the church, you have to come back to qualities and priorities like that. Now we have a graphic that we put together 
And it uses the word R-E-A-L to denote four key words that are important to us. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I will spend a little bit of time on it. Those four words that respond to our acrostic, the R-E-A-L acrostic, are relate, that we relate well to God and others. That's the first priority of the church and a focus I'm having today. Secondly, we want to engage those that are far from Christ with the prayers and hopes that we can draw them to Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. Thirdly, we are to adopt new brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can have the family of God as we gather. And fourth, we need to be willing to lead and serve one another as those that are called and gifted to serve. So relate, engage, adopt, and lead. But today I want to talk about the relationship part of that, the very top phrase to relate. I mean, what Jesus said in Matthew 20, chapter 22 is all about relationships. Oscar Thompson was a seminary professor that I'd had. He was an interim pastor of this church during some previous years. And Dr. Thompson used to have a phrase that he said all the time. He said, mark my words, in 20 and 30 years, this phrase will mean more to you than you can possibly imagine. But here's the phrase. And the phrase is, the most important word in the English language is relationships. Now, when I first heard that, I wasn't overly impressed. I thought there are probably some deeper statements and thoughts that I will carry with me for 30 and 40 years, but, but it's an interesting statement. And 30 and 40 years later, I look back and, and realize that's probably one of the most important things I've ever heard. That relationship is the most important word in our language. Because everything good that happens, happens through relationships, and everything bad that happens, happens through faulty relationships or no relationships, it's incredibly important. And when Jesus spoke to these Pharisees and these lawyers trying to entrap him, he dealt with the issue of relationships. God has always been about relationships. Now there's a phrase in verse 40 that Jesus spoke that I want to spend a moment on before we move on to what he said primarily. But one of the phrases he said is this phrase. He said, on these two depend the law and the prophets. Loving God, loving others, on these two depend the law and the prophets. And I was interested in that phrase some time ago when I began to study that. And I realized that said, that phrase was only said three times in the New Testament in that form. The first time it was said is Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. The second time it was used is when Jesus gave us what we know as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And Jesus said, this fulfills the law and the prophets. The third time is the text we just read. Love God with all your heart, love others as yourself, and this fulfills the law and the prophets. Now I made a statement to you that God has always been concerned about relationships. Go all the way back to the book of Exodus and the giving of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever analyzed those Ten Commandments and broken them down and thought through what it means, each one of them? The first four commandments are all about loving God and honoring God. The next six commandments are all about loving people and honoring people. It's a pretty incredible statement for Jesus to say that the first five books of the Old Testament, which we know as the law, and then the last 17 books of the Old Testament, which we know as the prophets, all those are fulfilled in what Jesus gave that day to those people trying to entrap him. It seems to me we need to know what that verse, what that passage really, really means. 
So today we're gonna to break that down and look at what it means to prioritize the relationships as the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus gave that day. Let me just open with this statement. A real church is a group of people who aspire to three relational priorities. A group of people who aspire to three relational priorities. You know, the church is not the buildings, even though we enjoy sitting in a nice air-conditioned or heated building, right? We enjoy our cup of coffee. We enjoy, you know, classrooms that are, that are good for us as we study God's Word. But it's not about the buildings. It's not about the location. The church is not the location. The church is not the leaders either. The church is the people. In fact, the word church, ecclesia, means called out ones. You are the called out ones who have been called out by Jesus Christ. So today, I want you to see this as the marching orders for you and I who are the called out ones. A real church is a group of people who aspire to three relational priorities, and it's not hard to guess what they are. Number one, love God. Say those two words with me. Love God. Jesus starts his answer to these Pharisees in that way. They ask him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your minds. And I'm gonna promise you in just a few moments, I'm gonna tell you how I believe that applies to us practically. But before that, I wanna share a few things with you. The Pharisees were trying to entrap Jesus. You know, the Pharisees were connected to God religiously, but not relationally. They saw religion as a way of doing the right things, a list of do's and don'ts, avoiding the wrong things, so that God might not be angry at you. Some people still have this mentality where they're always looking over their shoulder that God may zap them with a bolt of lightning if they don't do right well enough or if they don't avoid wrong long enough. So they related to God on the basis of religion. Others there that, that day related to God or they were aware of God by awareness. They knew about God in general because of how other people talked about God. Maybe they knew about God because they observed creation and most people who observed creation realized it didn't get here on its own. So they knew about him religiously. They knew about him in the sense of awareness, but they did not have any relationship with God. So Jesus responded to their question about the greatest commandment with a relationship kind of answer. Jesus responded to those trying to entrap him with the greatest statement the Bible gives us about relationship. Now the reason he does that is because God does not consider religion to be the priority. And he knows that awareness is not enough. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And what's important is not your good works and not your perfect behavior and it's not your religion or an unmarked past. What God says is priority is knowing how to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Here's a statement for you. God desires that we are relationally connected to him and he makes that possible through Jesus Christ. Somebody say, I am glad. He makes it possible. You and I don't have a clue about how to relate to a holy God. We have no idea how to please him. No idea how to connect with him at all. We don't know how to speak his language at all. But Jesus came and he gave his life so that we might have a connection with God that involves relationship. And today we have a relationship and are connected to God through that, not through religion, not through anything else. 
And for those men in that day and time, for all those that Jesus shared the message with, this was the most revolutionary thing they could possibly imagine. But Jesus came to make a way for us. He came to reveal God to us. He came to redeem us to himself. Think about all he did. He left glory, the glory of heaven, to come and walk on this earth. And he revealed the Father by his life and by his words and by his works. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. He made it possible for us to put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we can have a relationship with him. It's pretty profound. It's the greatest message the world's ever heard. You know, the word in the, in the Bible for gospel is the word that means good news. And it is good news. Great news. I spell gospel acrostically. I love acrostics. Apparently, I do love them. G in the gospel stands for God's character. He's a loving, merciful God who doesn't want to punish us for our sin, but a just judge who will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. The O of the gospel stands for the offense of sin, that we are all sinners separated from God. Every single one of us are. The S of the gospel stands for the Savior or the sufficiency of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, died on the cross to make it possible for us to have forgiveness and relationship with God. The P of the gospel is a personal response because just, just because Jesus did this doesn't mean it's ours yet. We must repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The E of the gospel is eternal urgency. It's important that we make this decision because it's about life and death and eternity. We don't have any guarantees for how long we'll live and so we're urgent in presenting this to you, and we are urgent in asking you to make a decision to follow Christ. The L of the gospel is life transformation, because once you put your faith in Christ, your life changes. But all this spells access. We have access to God because of Jesus Christ. It's how we know him. It's how we're able to worship him and pray to him. Everything we do in our relationship with God is granted by the access through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, you can get to God and know God and relate to God in a way you couldn't do without Jesus at all. Doesn't matter how religious or how good you are, you can never, ever have a good relationship with God at all without Jesus Christ. He provides access. A good friend of mine, Dave Crone, who passed away last year tragically, was for years a sportscaster, an anchor person. And I love to tell this story because the first time Dave took me to a Dallas Cowboy football game, I realized that's the way to go. Because in the new Cowboy Stadium, they had a brand new press room, and if you were an anchor person, you could go to that press room and bring a friend. And Dave had an access badge, a lanyard he wore, he had a sticker on his car, and he picked me up one day. We went to a Dallas Cowboy football game. And Dave drove right up to the stadium. I was expecting to walk like most of us commoners have to walk when we buy a ticket to the Cowboy game. You walk 25 miles and you're there, right? And he drove right up to a side door right next to the stadium. And I thought, Dave, are you going to get towed? He goes, no, I've got, I've got this card. He says, just tell him you're with me. I said, all right. He went to a door that nobody else could get into. And it just opened with a fob because Dave was credentials, right? And uh, if anybody looked at me, he just said, just tell them you're with me. We went to an elevator that nobody else really used, and we went up to the press box in that elevator, and that elevator was only for those that were credentialed, but I didn't have a credential, but Dave did, so Dave said, just tell everybody you're with me. 
And when we got to the press box, it had this most amazing place for, for sports writers to sit down. And there were multiple massive television screens. And I learned later that while the football game was going on, every live football NFL game was being broadcast on these screens simultaneous to us watching the Cowboys on the field. You talk about utopia. And I didn't belong there and I knew it, but Dave was credentialed and I was with Dave. Then there was the buffet line. Let me tell you something, folks. They feed you in that stadium, in that press room. And I didn't have the card, but Dave says, tell them you're with me and you can eat all you want. And so I went and I ate all I wanted. It was an incredible experience. But none of that experience is something I deserved, but I got because I had access through my friend Dave Crome, who was credentialed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know where I'm going with this, and that is only Jesus Christ is credentialed before God the Father. And the reason you're forgiven is because you're with Jesus. And the reason you go to heaven is because you're with Jesus. And the reason that you have access to God is because you're with Jesus. And that constitutes a relationship with Jesus Christ that allows you to know this God and to love him for all the things he has done for you. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, he knew that we would be talking about this 2,000 years later as the greatest commandment that he gave us. Now, let me give you some personal insight into my life and what I think this passage means to me as an individual. Because people ask the question, how do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? How does that work exactly? But I have to give you three words that have impacted my life. The first one is the word all, A-W-E. I believe loving God means that you stand in awe of his incredible power and presence. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can love him well until you're impressed with who he is. And if you know anything about this world and life, you've got to be impressed with who he is. He spoke and the worlds came into existence. Think about that. He upholds all things by the word of his power, the scripture says, and I believe it. There are times I, I just get out at night or early in the morning, I look up in the sky and I see the stars in the solar system and I'm in awe, not of the stars and not of the solar systems, I'm in awe of the God that put them there. There are times I watch incredible movies on television about nature, about animals, about the ocean, about birds in the air. And I'm not impressed by the ocean. I'm not impressed by the birds in the air. But I'm impressed with the God who put it all there. That's what it means to be in awe of God. And we can love him because we're in awe of him. But then I think about what God has done for me and I have affection. That's the second word, affection. But I think about the fact that Jesus left the glory of heaven to come walk on the earth just because he was willing to die on a cross to pay for your sin and pay for my sin. I have affection for the God who reached out to me in that way, who sacrificially laid his life down on the cross. Affection means thank you for what you've done for me. I love you for what you've done for me. I love him with all my heart, my soul, and my mind because of what he's done for me. And then alignment is the third word. I love him with all my heart, soul, and mind when I want to think like he thinks and do what he says to do. I mean, really, love is all about doing what's best according to the one you're serving, and that's God. 
So the awe that I have in my life, the affection I have in my life, the alignment I have in my life constitutes loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And if there's anything else that involves, God will reveal that to us, and we will give that to him because of who he is. And maybe those three words will mean something to you at some point. We need to learn to love God with awe, learn to love God with affection, learn to love God with alignment. And that actually brings security It actually brings all kinds of significance in your life, and it'll be the one thing that guides you through every part of your life, learning to love him well. And beyond that, loving him well means it puts you in fellowship with other people that have learned to love God well. There is a plane of relationship that no other friendship can get to unless you're with somebody who loves God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their minds. I mean, I have a lot in common with people that love old cars and old trucks. I talk about those things all the time with a few guys. I've got an old truck I've rebuilt. I love that kind of thing, but there's a ceiling to that kind of relationship, and it just doesn't go all the way to the top unless they love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. There's, there's football friends, and we like to yell at the TV a lot, and we do that together, and we're in harmony with that, but there's a level that is a ceiling there that I can't go higher than unless they have a love in their heart, to love God with their whole heart, soul, and mind. And every other relationship is like that. But my friend, when you love God with your whole heart, when you're in awe of God, have affection for God, and you're in alignment with God, there's a relationship there that is incomparable with anything else in life. It's just an amazing benefit we have from loving God with our whole heart, our whole mind, and everything about us. So first of all, love God. Sounds simple. It is profound. But the second part of this statement is to love people. Jesus said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's in verse 39. So based on this powerful and intimate relationship we have with God, this vertical relationship, we can now love others as well. And it's an intentional way of life, just like his love for us was intentional and it flows out of being loved instead of liking other people. This kind of love involves what Jesus demonstrated in his life. Selflessness, compassion, service, and sacrifice. You remember John 3, 13, uh, John 13, where Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. He was preparing them to get ready for his crucifixion and they weren't really catching on very well and he started talking to them about a new commandment. And in John chapter 13, this new commandment was expressed this way. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. But the key line is this next one, even as I have loved you, that you love one another also. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, it's important for you to note that this word love is the agape word, the unconditional love that's spoken of in the Bible and only in the Bible. It's not just friendship based on common interests. It's not family love that comes naturally because we're members of a family. It's not erotic love or sexual love. It's far more than that. Unconditional love is love with no guarantee of return, love with no strings attached. It desires only for the well-being of the one loved. It's the kind of love Christ has for us. And when we have it, it stands out in a broken world, a world that doesn't know how to love one another. 
I'm telling you that I believe that because you know the love of God, you have the ability to love people that you didn't have before. If I love God and have the love of God in my life, I'm accepted by God, so I'm not fearful of being rejected by somebody else's love. They may love me, they may not love me back, but that's not the most important thing because I am not rejected. I am loved by God eternally and unconditionally. Now, sometimes it's hard to love people. How many of you know that? Would you raise your hand? Sometimes it's hard to love people. Sometimes people are irregular. They don't go the same way we go. They don't believe the same things we believe. We don't even like them. And so it's hard for us to love them. Have you ever heard this statement before? I've heard this before. I love you, but I don't like you. Have you ever heard that in marriage? Have you ever heard that in marriage? But the Bible tells us that when we have the love of God in our lives, we have the ability and the power, having experienced God's love, to give that love. That's what Jesus is talking about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your, all your mind. This is the first and most important commandment. The second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Get that vertical love and know what that means and then now spread that horizontally. It's a pretty big deal. So how do we do that? First John chapter four, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So what that basically means is because you know the love of God for you and how he's loved you, you love others in that way. We love God because he first loved us. We love each other because he first loved us. We love our family because he first loved us. We love our neighbors because he first loved us. We love the church because he first loved us. We love the lost because he first loved us. We love people who are different because he first loved us. We love people who are difficult because he first loved us. We love people who are annoying because he first loved us. We love our enemies because he first loved us. Not because we like them, not because they do us any favors, not because they're making promises to return that love. We love because he first loved us us that's it that's it that's the criteria so what that makes us is very different people talk about peculiar people we're peculiar because we've experienced the love of God and we're willing to love others even if they don't love us back do you think that doesn't stand out in a loveless world it stands out big time when the church of Jesus Christ loves that way. We've literally been taught God to love one another. And the how of loving others is to know what it feels like for Jesus to love others. And in this case, others mean you. You are the receiving end of God's love. One of the greatest conversations about love in the Bible is in 1 John. And 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8 and verse 11, here's what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's called us to love others the way he's loved us. You know, one of the best examples of this is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus is telling a group of leaders about this man that had been robbed and was bleeding on the side of the road, left for dead. And he talks about two religious leaders who passed him by but didn't stop. 
And then a Samaritan, a half-breed in the eyes of those listening that day, who was not of the same ethnicity, was not of the same religion, yet stopped and showed compassion. And Jesus told the story, then asked the question, uh, as it was asked of him, Who, who's my neighbor? And he answered the question by saying, go and do the same as this Samaritan. Now, when you think through that, you'll realize that the Samaritan had no hope of return. There was nothing good coming out of him helping this guy except that this guy was, would be helped. That's how Jesus framed the story. And he did it all so that we might know what it means to show mercy on those, not just in your family or your circles, but how to show mercy and compassion on your neighbor in every which direction. Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and do likewise. Love him the way the Samaritan loved the stranger. So think through, what does it, do? what does it mean to do this? What does it take to do this? Quite simply, it means that we look around and recognize the needs in other people's lives and reach out and meet those needs in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. In the same way you've been loved, to seek to express that in other people's lives in your lifetime and in your area of influence. Imagine what the person with a broken marriage feels like and what they need if you were to reach out to them. Imagine what the, the young person with a broken home needs and love them that way. Imagine the hurting person. Imagine the disillusioned person. Imagine the lonely person and meet the need in their life. Or the displaced person who has no family anywhere around, how do you meet that need? But when you see their need and you find a way to meet that need responsibly, then you're loving like the Samaritan loved in Jesus' story. You know, one of our goals is to build an invite culture in our church, meaning that we are conscious of everyone's need for the gospel. If you needed the gospel... Everybody needs the gospel. If I need the gospel, everybody needs the gospel. But, but looking around us at people in our lives and saying, the best thing I can do for them might be a practical thing, but ultimately it will always be introducing them to the love of and the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe bring them to a service with you. Maybe expose them to a small group in your, in, your, in your church where you're helping them see what it means to be loved and to be loved by God and love other people. And we want to encourage you to realize that's what real life is really all about, helping love people the best way we can. Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to speak to with the same kind of love that God reached out to you with? So love God, love others. The third thing is love Scripture. Love Scripture. Now, at first, when we look at this text, we don't think the Scripture is part of the love relationship we're talking about, but I've just shared with you a moment ago that loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind means aligning with Him. It's interesting that Jesus brings the whole law and the prophets, essentially all the teaching of the Old Testament, into His New Testament answer. In other words, if you want to fulfill everything I've already said in the Old Testament, God in the flesh says, then love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. So he says, this is the great and foremost commandment. And then he says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Why did Jesus include this? Why didn't he just stop with saying, this is the great and foremost and the second is like unto it? Why did he bother to go on beyond that and say, all the law, all the commandments are built on these two things? Because 
he wanted us to understand that all of God's word is part of what we do when we love God, love others, love his word to us. That's so incredibly important. Jesus used the scripture to reveal truth. Scripture is then and now the basis for what Jesus came to say and came to do. If you want to pass on to someone else what Jesus says to them, use your Bible and tell them what he says to them because you've learned what it means for you. When Jesus says, I love you with an everlasting love in the Old Testament, or when he says, I've come to give my life or ransom for mankind, that's what he means for you to say to somebody else. Love his word enough to share that with other people. Now, you know Jesus spoke the truth and he identified as the truth at the same time, don't you? For example, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Or he identified as the truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, if you were to walk in the front door of our buildings, you would see a large stone there. And John 14, 6 is there where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why do we have that stone there? Because of the thousands of people that walk through that front door every year, we want every single one of them to know that Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no two ways about it. He is the way for salvation. We love what he said. We believe it's true. And we want everybody to know that. So we love God. We love others. And we love the scripture. It's a huge value for us. You know, the true church is always held to the word. It's the apostate church that has left the word behind. And what's going on in our world today, as it always has, without scripture, people are left to guess or worse, make up what they want their truth to be, what they believe about God, what they believe about right and wrong. But God is there and God is not silent. Love the scripture because it brings you into alignment with the God that you love. Love scripture because it helps others know about the God that loves us. You know, the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. It's our guide. It's our authority. It is our conscience and everything. And we firmly stand on that for all these reasons and more and more. Here's how I want you to, to look at God's word today and every day. Look at God's word as God's note to you for the day. His note to you for the day. I'm on my Bible reading plan that reads just four chapters a day of the Scripture. And I'm starting in the New Testament. Four chapters a day will let me read 1,189 chapters of the Bible, all of them, in less than 300 days. 297 and a half days, I'll finish this. And every one of them, when I'm reading them, I'm reading them with this perspective. What does this text tell me about God? And what does this say that God is saying to me today? What does it tell me about him? What message is he sending me today with what I'm reading? And I tell you, I see a lot of life when I read the Bible every day. It just speaks to me so powerfully. I've come to love the scripture because it's God speaking to us. And part of loving people is helping people know the truth. Part of loving God is being in alignment with them. So love God, love people, love truth. You say, but pastor, sometimes it's hard for people. We're trying to love to hear the truth. Sometimes they don't want to hear it, and I agree. Sometimes they don't. You know, there have actually been times in my life where I told people the truth about a question they've asked me, and then they've not liked me anymore. And they've been angry at me. They've retaliated against me. But there have also been people who years later have come back to me and said to me, 
Thank you for telling me the truth. I didn't want it then, but I, I knew it was true in my heart. It's so important to love God, love people, love the truth. Here, here's how we wrap it all up. Here's the line. A real church is a group of people who aspire to love God, love people, and love Scripture. And all that begins with you today. The church is a group of people. Not the building, not the organization. The church is you. Love God. Love people. Love the Scripture. In just a moment, we're going to close in prayer. About three invites I want to give you today. First of all, the decision station. We talked a lot about the gospel today. If you've never accepted what Christ did on the cross for you personally, if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through what he did on the cross, today's a great day to do that. These decision stations are manned by people who can answer questions and who can lead you in prayer. I want to encourage you to stop on the way out. Have a conversation about faith in Jesus. That's number one. Number two, if you're a guest today, I would love to meet you in our guest reception center. It's just outside the center exit doors and across the hallway. It's a glassed-in room. You'll see me there in a moment. Please stop by. Let me tell you about what God is doing here at Cross City Church. Plus, I'd just love to meet you and say thank you for being here today. Number three, there's always an opportunity to invite others to come join us next week. There are invite cards out there with the Real Church logo on it. I want to encourage you to pick them up. Take a bunch of them. Invite people to come with you next week. Reserve a spot for them. Sit next to them. Make them feel welcome. But let them hear about how the church is supposed to engage people who don't know Christ yet but who will someday come to know Christ because we have reached out to engage them in the gospel. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? Father, today I am so grateful for your words, so grateful for this greatest commandment, the difficult question posed, but the answer you gave, amazing. Father, today I am so thankful too that you have taught us how to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Father, I pray that you would bring us to a place of awe, that we would come to a place of affection for you, and that we would align ourselves after you. Lord, be at work in our hearts today. Use us as we go out of this building today into the world you've placed us in to love others the way you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.